The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Now we're concluding our current sermon series that we've been working through the last several weeks. We've been looking at uh, the office of pastor and we examined our first Sunday together the qualifications from Scripture for a man to hold the office of pastor. Uh, then we've been looking the last couple of weeks and today at the various roles of a pastor. We've seen the pastor is preacher and the pastor is shepherd. And today we come to the pastor as leader. I want us to take a look at what Scripture says about the leadership responsibility of a pastor and the congregation's responsibility to respond to that leadership that he offers. Now, this is a very important um, study for us this morning because of what we're discovering in Southern Baptist life these days, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what we're discovering in Southern Baptist life. We're averaging about 800 pastoral terminations in the Southern Baptist Convention each year. Now, those are the terminations. That doesn't include the, the person who's been pressured to resign. The, the situation at the church has become so untenable that, that he just decides instead of waiting to be officially terminated, he'll just offer his resignation. So if we were to count forced resignations, this number would skyrocket. But 800 alone is troubling. And so Lifeway Christian Resources began to do some research. What's causing pastors to be terminated? What are the primary reasons for pastoral termination in the Southern Baptist Convention? And the top five reasons are listed on the slide. Control issues. Pastor has poor people skills. The pastor's leadership style is too strong. Church was already in conflict when the pastor arrived. The pastor's leadership style is too weak. Now here's what I want you to see. Three of the five of those top five reasons deal with pastoral leadership. This subject that we study today is at the root of so many of our pastors losing their ministries in the local church each and every year due to the issue of pastoral leadership. And so come with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, I'll invite you to stand in honor of the reading of two verses of Scripture. You're going to need your copy of God's Word in hand uh, this morning because we're going to be all over the New Testament as we examine this subject of pastoral leadership. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Look with me, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves. Paul's now addressing these elders that have come from Ephesus. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Father, would you help us to come with an open mind to Scripture this morning to see what your Word teaches us about pastoral leadership and the congregation responding to pastoral leadership? 
Father, we want to understand clearly and accurately what your word is teaching so we can live out each of these biblical principles. Lord, we thank you as a church family this morning that you've already chosen our next pastor. That you are using this morning in his life to mold and shape him, to polish the gem that he is. That, Father, in your timing, you'll bring him and introduce him to us. And when he comes as our preacher, when he comes as our shepherd, when he comes as our leader, help us to respond biblically to this grace gift of a pastor that you're in the process of giving to this wonderful church. Father, we pray all of that in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. As you're being seated this morning, the very first thing I want us to examine is an understanding of the terminology. Now, we started this series about five weeks ago, six weeks ago. We've had homecoming. We've had Who's Your One. We've, we've had several things in the middle of this series. And we looked briefly at the terminology. There are three primary terms used for men who fill the office of pastor, used to denote them, used to describe them. We see one of those terms in verse 17. Come back to our text. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. You'll remember four or five weeks ago, we noted that the word elder used in the New Testament is a reference to the man or men who hold the office of pastor. That's one of the terms. In verse 28, we see the additional two concepts in the New Testament to speak of a pastor. Verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's the second word that's used multiple times in Scripture to have reference to the man who holds the title, the office of pastor within the church. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd. There's the third concept in reference to the pastoral office, this concept of being a shepherd. Now, you'll remember Sunday before last, we spent about 40 minutes looking at this concept of the pastor being a shepherd. You remember that, don't you? It's important that you remember that because the concept of the pastor is shepherd must precede any discussion of the pastor as leader. Here's what I mean by that. In order for a man to be an effective leader of a congregation, he must first be an effective shepherd to that same group of people. Before he can fulfill his leadership role and expect the congregation to respond to his leadership role, he must be the one who shepherds them with love and tenderness and concern and compassion. He must be the shepherd who feeds and teaches the Word of God. He must be the shepherd who protects from false doctrine as he is helping the congregation understand Scripture. And he must be the shepherd that oversees new birth as new disciples are made. And when a pastor is an effective shepherd, almost always the congregation is willing to follow his leadership. And so these sermons are placed in specific order. The pastor must be a good shepherd before he can be an effective leader. Keep that in mind as we study because these three terms are used interchangeably in Scripture. Let me show that to you. Uh, come with me, 1 Peter chapter 5. 
First Peter chapter 5. And let's see what we discover in 1 Peter chapter 5 to see how these verses or these words are used interchangeably. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Now there, uh, we've got Peter. He's writing. He's speaking. He's speaking to the elders. There's one way the uh, the word is used to reference a pastor. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. For your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. There's this concept again. These concepts, these words are being used interchangeably to reference the man who holds the office of pastor. Look with me at another. Look with me at Titus, the New Testament book of Titus. Titus chapter 1. Going to look at two verses of Scripture. Look with me, verse 5 and then verse 7. For this reason, I left you in Crete. Paul is writing to Titus. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And so there's this concept of the elder as the pastor. But look at verse 7, if you will. For the overseer, there it is, used interchangeably. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid game. So what I want you to see, ladies and gentlemen, at this point in our study, there are three terms or concepts that are used over and over interchangeably to speak of the man who holds the office of pastor. There are elders... They're shepherds, and there's this concept of being an overseer. Now, I want us to take just a moment and to define these terms. I want us to understand how they're used in Scripture and what each term actually represents in the Word of God. First of all, let's talk about this word elder. It comes from the Greek word presbyteros. It's where we get our English word presbyterian. And I don't want you to miss this. It's a term of rank or office among Christians, and it denotes primarily spiritual maturity. So when you see the term elder being used in Scripture, it it denotes rank, it it denotes um, an office, if you will, in the New Testament, and the person holds that rank or has obtained that office because of spiritual maturity. Don't miss that fact. And so an elder represents a person with spiritual maturity. Come back and let's look at the second term, overseer. The term overseer comes from the Greek word episkopos, which is where we get the word episcopal. It's a man charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly. He has the responsibility of watching the ministry, the work, overseeing, if you will, the ministry and work of others, and to make sure it is done correctly. You see there quickly a leadership motif. Elders, spiritual maturity. Overseers, there's this concept of leadership. Now let's look at the third one. Shepherd. 
Poimino is the Greek word, and metaphorically, it's used as the presiding officer or assembly uh, or director of any assembly. The overseers of the Christian assemblies being pastors with their teaching and preaching and protecting and feeding responsibilities. So we come to this passage of Scripture and we see very clearly that there are multiple words, three, that are used interchangeably in the New Testament to speak of the office of pastor. One speaks of a pastor having spiritual maturity. One speaks of a pastor having leadership responsibility. And the other speaks of a pastor being a shepherd. Now, I want to chase a rabbit for just a moment. Are you, are you with me? Help me catch this rabbit. Let's go back to the word elders. I don't want to miss this. Many years ago, probably about 10, if 10 defines many, about 10 years ago, there was a trend among Baptist churches to take deacons and to make them elders. To take men who'd been elected by the church and serving the church as deacons and to somehow change their function and to change uh, the terminology in which we refer to them and to change their responsibilities and those men who are deacons become elders. Ladies and gentlemen, I find no biblical model in Scripture for men who are deacons to become elders. Elders in Scripture are always men who have a calling to serve as pastor upon their heart. They've been called by the Father to be a pastor. They've been gifted by the Father to be a pastor. Now, what you do see in the New Testament are churches that have what's called a plurality of elders. That means a team of men who work together to pastor the congregation. You see that frequently in the New Testament. Some of the verses we are going to study this morning speaks to the fact that a local church might have a team of men, multiple men, who work together to fill the office of pastor. But there's no biblical model for deacons to somehow transition by name and responsibility to elders. Many Southern Baptist churches traveled that path about 10 years ago. There's just not a biblical model for that to happen. But there is the biblical model for one church to be led by a team of men that God has called and gifted to be pastors to serve that congregation. That rabbit is caught. Let's move back to our study of the text this morning. So here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the pastor's leadership responsibility. If pastors are to be overseers, if overseers have a definitive administrative leadership function, I want us to see the pastor's leadership responsibility. Come with me, you will, back to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I told you you would need your Bible this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, and look with me, if you will, verse 2 and 3. The pastor's leadership responsibility. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. His first responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God. Now, we're not going to spend time unfolding what that means. We did that two weeks ago, spent about 40 minutes unfolding what it means to shepherd the flock of God. But let's read on. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you 
exercising oversight. So the second responsibility that a pastor has in this concept of being one who has leadership responsibility in the church, he's to exercise oversight. The word oversight literally speaks of administration. It speaks of leadership. The pastor has a responsibility to be the spiritual leader of the church. We're going to see that, ladies and gentlemen, in multiple verses of Scripture this morning as we study. But right now, look back at the verse. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compassion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So here in this passage of scripture, there are three leadership responsibilities for the pastor. He's to shepherd the flock. He's to provide oversight, administration, leadership. And he's to live a life in which he is an example to the congregation. That's what we see in this passage of scripture. Come with me to Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Chapter 13, verse 17. Another responsibility of a pastor as a leader of the congregation. Verse 17, obey your leaders. We're going to come back and see what that means in just a moment. Submit to them. We're going to see what that means in just a moment. And here it comes. Here's another responsibility of the man holding the office of pastor. For they keep watch over your souls. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll say to you this morning, that is the weightiest responsibility I have as your senior pastor. Scripture says I keep watch over your souls. That I have a responsibility. The word there, keep watch, literally means to be sleepless. That I'm to be so concerned about your spiritual condition, where you stand in your relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, that, that I spend sleepless nights keeping watch over your soul. Your next pastor who comes, Pastor Mark, as he serves you now, Pastor Other Mark, as he serves you now, we, we have a responsibility to keep watch over your souls. It is given to us by the Father in Scripture. We are to be passionately concerned about where you are in your relationship with Christ. Are you growing in your relationship with Christ or are you stagnant in your relationship with Christ? And most of all, we're to have sleepless nights concerned, do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you come to the one who has purchased you with his blood and confess your sins and turn from your sins and turn to faith in Christ so that he can forgive you of sin and give you life everlasting and abundant life on earth. That should be a primary concern of your pastor to keep watch over your souls. I want us to just see one other verse of scripture in this same line of thinking. Come with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5 again. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. A pastor is to shepherd the flock. He's to exercise oversight. He's to be an example to the flock. He's to keep watch over your souls. And look what 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says. The elders, elders are who? Pastors. The elders who rule well, there's that idea again of leadership, of strong leadership, of administration. The elders who rule well 
are to be considered worthy of double honor. We're going to come back to that phrase in a moment. The two words rule well mean to rule with excellence, to lead with excellence. Everything your senior pastor, when he comes in shepherding the flock, in exercising oversight, he's to do it all, caring and keeping watch over your soul. He's to do it with excellence. He's not to do it with the mindset, well, that's good enough. Not to do it with the mindset of, well, that's better than it used to be. The high bar that Scripture sets for your pastor is to do all of his pastoral ministry, his pastoral leadership, with excellence. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want us to think that there are some, there are some challenges to the biblical concept of pastoral leadership today. Now, I really want you to listen closely for the next five to eight minutes so that you won't walk out saying something that I didn't say. I don't mind you saying everything that I did say, but I don't want you to say anything I didn't say. There are some challenges to the concept of pastoral leadership today. The first one that I want you to think about with me is the American spirit. You remember back in history class? You should know this well, living in North Carolina. There came a time where the colonists said, we've had all of that king in England we want to have. And they began a revolution. They were tired of the monarch dictating to them how their life would unfold and the taxes that they would pay and, and the laws that they would obey and the way they would govern their lives. They were tired of a king, a dictator, ruling over them. So the colonists, the colonists formed the revolution and, and they overthrew the yoke from the king of England and they launched what is called a democratic republic for those of you who remember your civics. That means that we elect representatives who go to the state capital or the national capital, and then they make laws that govern our lives. But we have the opportunity to elect that representative, a democratic republic. Inherent in that process is the right to what? Vote. The right to vote. That in our governance, there should be the, the opportunity for every man and woman who is 18 years of age to vote yes or no about those laws and rules and regulations and taxation that governs our lives. That's the American spirit. And as we approach every election, and now it seems to be perpetual 24-7 every day of our lives, there's a political process unfolding where someone's trying to encourage you to exercise your right to vote and to vote for their candidate. It's the American spirit. Now listen to me. That mentality has seeped into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was never meant to be governed by democratic votes. I want you to hear that clearly. We in the church live under a theocracy. We believe that God is sovereign and he rules and reigns over his church and that if we will pray and listen, he is more than happy to reveal his will to us so that as a unified body, we simply respond in obedience to our king, King Jesus. It's a theocracy. But in the church today, there has seeped in this mentality that whatever issue we're dealing with, I have a right... 
to vote. And you don't see that in Scripture. As a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, what you see in Scripture, don't miss this. You can go out and say, I said it. What you find in Scripture is when the congregation voted in Scripture, it always made the wrong decision. Let me give you some examples. Think with me about three examples from the Old Testament. Think with me about the worship of the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. As a matter of fact, just turn with me there quickly. We, we've got time. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You think about the children of Israel in their wilderness wanderings, and the Lord gave them a leader. His name was Moses to be followed. But in this critical moment, the Bible says the people surrounded Aaron and the people said, listen, we voted and we want you to give us a God that we can worship. The people voted, they voiced their opinion, they followed their vote in the sin of the worship of the golden calf. There are other places in Scripture where you see this in the Old Testament. We're not going to look at every one. I'm just going to mention them to you. You can go home and read them this afternoon. Refusal to enter the promised land. Go and look at Numbers chapter 14 when you get home today. The children of Israel come together. They make a unified decision. They, They just refuse to enter the promised land. And for 40 years they wander in the desert, lost. A third one, go to 1 Samuel chapter 8 later today. The children of Israel demand a king. God had given them prophets and priests to lead them in flesh, but he was their king. He sat on the throne of their lives. But the children of Israel looked around to the nations on the right and on the left. They had kings. The children of Israel wanted a king. And when they pressed their will, the Lord gave them a king. And you see how that worked out with Saul. Now, I know somebody's sitting there thinking, but let's think about the New Testament, Chuck. Let's think about Acts chapter 6, when the first deacons were selected. And when the first deacons were selected, the the Bible says the congregation selected those men. Go back and read Acts chapter 6, and what you discover is the process used to choose the first deacons was given to the church by the apostles. The apostles said, you look among you and select men of good report. And we're going to focus on prayer and the word. The church was simply following the pattern that the apostles gave in selecting the first deacons. Go today, read from Acts chapter 1, the selection of Matthias. When it was time to elevate, to have 12 apostles, Judas had committed suicide. It was time to bring another apostle on the scene. In the election of Matthias, the Bible says that the early church cast lots. When the early church cast lots, they believed that God in his sovereignty would determine the lots that were cast. They were simply following God's leadership. One more example I want to give you because probably at this point I'm making somebody mad. And that's okay. I make Charlene mad all the time. 
I live with people being angry with me. But I want you to see this one for sure. Come with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And we've really got to move quickly for me to get you home by 3 o'clock today. Titus chapter 1. I'm almost there myself. Titus chapter 1. I want you to see this. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. We, we've looked at Titus already, but chapter 1, verse 5. Paul is writing to Titus. And look what he says in verse 5. For this reason, I, Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and don't miss this, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Now, let me see if I can explain this as simply as I know how. In the first century, under the leadership of the Apostle Paul, Paul told Titus, you stay here, and Titus, you appoint the men who are to be the pastors in every city, just as I direct you. You see, in the first century, there were no such thing as pastor search committees. In the first century church, there, there weren't even follow God committees. Because God spoke to the Apostle Paul. In this instance, the Apostle Paul speaks to Titus. And Titus even appoints the men who are to be pastors of these cities. Now, I'm not saying a pastor search team is not an excellent tool for God to use to introduce a congregation to our next pastor. I fully endorse your pastor search team. They're doing a wonderful job in preparing you for the coming of your next pastor. I'm just pointing out, ladies and gentlemen, that this mentality that we have in the church in 2019, that in every instance, the church needs to have the opportunity to vote because we must follow the democratic processes of the American spirit is not biblical. The sovereign Lord gives us a pastor to be our overseer. To be our shepherd, first and foremost, that's where we began this morning. And in the context of a loving shepherd, to be our spiritual leader, to guide us and direct us. So quickly, quickly this morning, in the last section of our study, I want us to look at the people's response to pastoral leadership. I don't want you to miss this. What, how should we respond to pastoral leadership? Now listen, I want you to hear me clearly. I was a pastor for 20 years. The last 20 years, I've served primarily at the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, and, and you are my fourth congregation to love and serve as an interim pastor. But I have a pastor. His name is Aaron Wallace. He's pastor of Hepzibah Baptist Church in Wendell, North Carolina. And everything I'm about to tell you to do for your pastor, I try my very best to do for my pastor. He is my spiritual leader. I've told my administrative assistant that there are two people that anytime they call, she's to interrupt anything that's happening in my office. One person's name is Charlene. One person's name is Aaron. Anytime my pastor calls, she knows to interrupt because he is my spiritual leader. So how should we respond to our pastoral leaders? How should we respond to Brother Mark? How should we respond to the second Brother Mark? How should we respond in this interim season to Brother Chuck? How should we respond to our next 
senior pastor. Come with me, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 7. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. Now, who does that sound like? Pastors. Remember the people who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. The first way you should respond to your pastoral leader, imitate their faith. The word imitate there means to mimic. Mimic their faith. Second thing I want you to see, look with me, verse 17, same chapter. Verse 17, same chapter. Now, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where people get upset and they, they don't like Chuck after this. Verse 17. Obey your leaders. Pretty plain, straightforward, amen? Obey your leaders. The word obey that's used there means to listen. Don't miss this. To trust and to comply. To listen. Listen to what they're leading you to do. Listen. Trust them. Why should you trust them? Because God has placed them in this place of leadership in your life. It's not that you're trusting Him. You're trusting Him. If God has sovereignly directed your next pastor to be your spiritual leader, you may not have built up trust enough in your relationship with the man, but you certainly can trust your God. Trust and comply. Let me show you another one. Come with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now, who does that sound like? Who diligently labors among you, has charge over you in the Lord, and gives you instruction? He's speaking of pastors. How are we to respond to pastoral leadership? We're to, the Bible says... Appreciate. The word appreciate that's used there means to cherish. It's the idea of cherishing a very expensive piece of jewelry. What do you do with very expensive jewelry? You polish it. You, you, you tuck it away at night where it's safe and it, it can't be harmed. You, you like to display it and show it in front of others. Appreciate. Let's read on. And that you esteem them, the word esteem means respect, that you respect them very highly. Don't just respect them. Don't just respect them highly. Respect them, the Bible says, very highly. So we're to appreciate, we're to respect, come back to verse 13, and that you esteem them very highly, and I don't want you to miss this, in love. The word love there is the Greek word agape. It's self-sacrificing love. You're to appreciate them. You're to respect them very highly. You're to love them. You probably have never heard the name Jared Wilson. Jared Wilson is a young mega pastor, mega church pastor. That means he pastors an extremely long church, uh, large church in California. 
Most people in the evangelical world had not heard of Jared Wilson until this past Tuesday morning. Because on Monday night, Jared Wilson, megachurch pastor, mental health advocate who focused on suicide prevention in the lives of ministers, took his own life. It is a occurrence that is all too common in the church today. That just began to burden my heart Tuesday. So Tuesday, I picked up my cell phone and I sent a text message out to three pastors and three other men who work at the Baptist State Convention. These are men that I respect, men who have been involved in ministry for decades. These are seasoned men, experienced men. And I asked this question, brothers, It seems to me that pastoral suicide is almost becoming common. Is that your observation or is it just social media that seems to make it prevalent? And if that's your observation, why do you think pastors at an alarming rate are committing suicide? My phone was just silent. No one responded. After about an hour, a dear pastor brother of mine that I love, we've served together on the same church staff. He said, Chuck, I'll answer first. And to respond to an email thread, a text thread, that had men that he had never met, he was willing to be open and honest and transparent to men he had never met. And he began to describe what's going on in his life the emotions that he's feeling. When he finished, the second pastor chimed in. Again, men, communicating with men he had never met, and he begins to tell the emotions that he's dealing with. And late at the end of the day, the third pastor says, Chuck, I haven't been blowing this off. I've just been trying to get my thoughts together so I could be honest. And he began to share the emotions that he struggles with. These are three men that I love, three men that I respect, three men that I pray for on a regular basis. And these three men said to me, here's what I struggle with. Feelings of inadequacy. Feelings of failure. Feelings of loneliness that I'm in ministry all by myself. A sense of betrayal when people close to me turn on me. And then one wrote, and the cumulative pain of congregational problems. He said, Chuck, every week I deal with the couple whose marriage is falling apart and I absorb some of their pain. And then I go to the emergency room and I'm there with the mother and father that are having to say goodbye as they disconnect their son or daughter who's been involved in a car accident from life support and I absorb some of that pain. The cumulative effect of congregational pain. Ladies and gentlemen, if you hear nothing else I say today, please hear this. To Pastor Mark, love him. To Pastor Mark, love him. To Pastor Chuck, love him.
And when your senior pastor arrives, love him with everything you have. It is your biblical responsibility in responding to his leadership. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. This morning we've, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the wonderful benefit of the cross, the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. We've been talking about the church and how the church should respond to leadership and how a pastor should lead. And that's such an important study at this point in the life of Emmanuel. But this morning, I want you to know Jesus Christ passionately loves you. He sacrificially gave his life on the cross for you. And this morning, if you want to experience love like you've never known love before, come to Jesus. He will forgive you. He will transform your life. He will shower you with his divine love. Father, would you speak to your children today? Would you draw them close to Christ? Would you help us to prepare ourselves for the coming of our next pastor? To embrace him as our leader. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.